The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota on July 22, 2012, based on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Please remain seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith in Jesus is the second lesson from today, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, which you heard read earlier. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, wash clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Many are called, but few are chosen. No doubt you recognize those as words of Jesus. He spoke them as the conclusion of his parable of the wedding banquet. The king prepared a wedding feast for his son. He sent out his servants to call those who had been invited, but they refused to come. So he sent out more servants to them, saying, Come, for the feast is ready. But they still refused and instead mistreated and even killed the servants. The king sent his army to destroy them. But the banquet is ready. The feast is prepared. Who will be the guests? So the king sends his servants out to the highways, to the street corners, to bring in both the good and the bad, and provides them with the wedding clothes for the feast. The wedding hall is full. But then the king comes in and sees one of the guests not wearing the wedding clothes that had been provided for all. That man is thrown out into the darkness. Many are called, but few are chosen. Those words express the doctrine of election or predestination. And in these opening verses from Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, we hear Paul expressing the same truths, teaching us about God's election of his chosen. This is not just a minor teaching of the scriptures. Many Bible passages refer to God's elect, his chosen, those whom he knows as his own. Yes, this is not a minor or obscure teaching. This This teaching of the doctrine of election really goes to what God's plan of salvation is. It goes to the reason why we have faith. And so let's let's listen to what our God has to say here. For you see, he has revealed this teaching. He has revealed it to comfort and courage and strengthen you, his believers. And yet many have misunderstood this teaching leaving them in doubt or even despair. And others have twisted this teaching, perverting it into some sort of license for spiritual laziness or other sins. And so, dear friends, let's hold our reason captive to the word of God. And as we take to heart this word before us today, may it work in us the right understanding as the Holy Spirit leads us to trust what God has told us here. May the Spirit encourage and assure you through this message, God elected you in Christ. 
Remember that theme. Now, maybe the first question that comes to our mind is, as we think about God's doctrine of election is the question, why me? Why would God choose me? But that question already gets us off on the wrong path. Now, I understand why that question comes to our minds. When it comes to choices, the choices we make, we base our choices on the differences in the options that lay before us. For example, in the upcoming elections, we look at the differences between the candidates, their character, their policies, their record, and then based on who they are and what they have done or what they might do, we make our choice. In America, elections are all about our choices and making those choices based on the differences of the candidate. That's, that's what it means in our polit- political system to have an election. But how different God's election is. For you see, his choice is not based on anything in us. It doesn't depend on who you are or what you have done or will do. God's choice is all about Jesus. For God elected you in Christ. God's choice, his election, does not find any cause or reason in us. For you see, anything good that is in you or me, anything that is truly good, including our faith, God himself has placed in us because he chose us. And so it can't be that anything in us is a reason for his election. Without the good that God has given us, all that is left in you and me is our inborn sinfulness, our evil desires, and our wicked thoughts, words, and actions. It's not about you and me. But then, then how how could God elect or choose a sinner? How could he choose someone like you and me, a guilty sinner? with a filthy record. It's all about Jesus. You see, even in the text here, Paul makes it clear that it can't be based on anything in us because he says we are chosen before the creation of the world, before we had done anything good or bad, before we even existed. How could God choose a sinner, a guilty sinner with a filthy record? It's all about Jesus. And that's where Paul keeps on placing our attention. When you heard the reading earlier, as you think back to the text, notice how Paul keeps on zeroing us back to Christ, back to Jesus. Picture a circle. All that God has done to save us is inside that circle. It's in Christ. Outside of Jesus. Outside of Jesus, there is no salvation. Listen again to how Paul keeps our focus on Jesus. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him to be adopted through Jesus Christ 
to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to bring all things under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen. You also were included in Christ. It's all about Jesus. For God elected you in Christ. Without Jesus, God could not choose sinners, including you and me. For only Jesus' blood washes our filthy record clean, forgiving our sins. Only Jesus' blood redeems us paying the ransom price to adopt us into God's family. Only Jesus' blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Outside of Jesus there is no forgiveness, no election, no nothing but damnation. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What wonderful gospel that is. And how that takes us back to that parable of the wedding banquet, doesn't it? For you see, the only reason the king could send out his servants to call both the good and the bad is because of what you are told right here. That in Christ we have forgiveness. That his blood and righteousness clothe us. What wonderful wedding garments God has provided for you and me, sinners though we are. He clothed you and me with Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's all about Jesus. God has elected you in Christ. But maybe this raises another question about how or why God would send Jesus in the first place. And again, this has nothing to do about anything inside of us. Rather, God, who is love, freely gave his Son according to his goodwill. That's what the angel sang about when Jesus was born, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What grace, what undeserved love. Yes, what grace that you and I in no way have earned or merited. And notice also how Paul keeps on echoing that theme of God's gracious goodwill, that theme of God's grace and love here. He says, he writes, In love he predestined us, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's all about Jesus. That grace that sends out his invitation to the good and the bad, not based on anything in us, but because of the wedding clothes that Jesus has prepared for us, the forgiveness of sins in his blood. It's all about Jesus, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It has nothing to do with anything in you or me. That is not the basis for God's election in any way at all. It's all about Jesus. For in Christ, God elected you. Now, some have taken 
this wonderful gospel that it all depends on Jesus, that he alone is the source of our salvation. And their reason has twisted this so that they, they think along these lines. Well, since God's choice, his election does not depend on me in any way, God must have arbitrarily made a list according to his sovereign, absolute kind of will. And therefore, it all depends on whether I'm on that list or not. And, and, and because of that, if I'm on that list, then I'm saved. So what does it really matter what I do? Why bother wasting my time hearing God's word? Why not live life my way? If I'm on the list, I'm saved. So what? So what does it matter? And if I'm not on that list, then there's no hope for me. I might as well give up and give in to despair. That's the way our, our human fallen reason wants to, to twist this teaching of election. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Our God is not an arbitrary God. These words from Ephesians chapter 1, as well as every place that the scriptures talk about God's election, it does not talk about some sort of arbitrary, absolute, sovereign will of God, but it talks about his good and gracious will in Christ. You see, if we try to trace out or track down by our reason why God did as he did, if we try to trace out or track down how God chose as he did, that is an attempt to penetrate into God's secret wisdom. We must hold our reason in check here and rather exclaim with the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. But then, but then, how do... I know if I am among the elect or not. Well, rather than trying to delve into God's secret wisdom to answer that question, let's hold our minds captive to what God has revealed here in his word. For you see, Paul says here, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. How do I know if I'm among God's elect or not? Well, what is God's plan and purpose for his elect? What has he arranged and put in order to bring salvation to his chosen? If I see that plan and purpose, if I see that arrangement and order in my life, then, then God wants you or, or me to know that we are among the elect. We are his chosen. Now what is that plan and purpose? What is that arrangement for salvation that he has revealed in his word? Well, we've already started talking about it, haven't we? Everything in that first part that we had here today about Jesus, about salvation only being in Christ Jesus, that, that is God's plan and purpose to bring salvation to his elect. He has arranged to send his son 
to be our Savior, our Redeemer. But that's not all that his word reveals. God's plan and purpose for his elect go beyond what he did 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus. For you see, Paul continues here and says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You see, God's plan and purpose for our lives as his elect. Not only is his arrangement to give us his son, Jesus Christ, but it's also how he has arranged so that the gospel of Jesus has been proclaimed for you and me to hear. And through that gospel, the Holy Spirit has worked faith in our hearts, faith in Jesus, faith that trusts that Jesus is the sacrifice that alone justifies us before God. That only Jesus can present us before God as holy and blameless. This is all part of God's plan and purpose for his elect. And it it takes us back to that wedding banquet parable, doesn't it? God has sent his word for us to hear, just as that king sent out his servants to proclaim his his gracious invitation for the good and the bad. And in the same way, God has sent out his word for you and me to hear. So when we come to that question of, am I among God's elect or not? We ask ourselves, has God sent his word for me to hear? And has the Holy Spirit worked faith in my heart? Faith that trusts in Jesus as my Savior who alone justifies me? Yes, God has done that for you, dear friends. He has done that for you, his elect. But but there's more that, that he reveals here as well. When he gives us that promised Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes to us through God's word and sacrament, he not only kindles faith in our hearts, but he also sanctifies us. That is, he creates a new self in you, a new self that wants to live for Jesus, that eagerly wants to do what is good in God's sight. He creates a new self in you who resists the sinful desires This too is part of God's plan and purpose for his elect. This is how God has has arranged and put things in order. That when he gives us the Holy Spirit through his word and sacrament, we want to do what is good and right. The elect want to do what pleases God. But there's even more that he reveals here. Even more. For you see... The Holy Spirit not only kindles faith in the elect through God's word and sacrament, the Holy Spirit also keeps them in the one true faith. Paul writes about the Holy Spirit that he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Yes. 
God's plan and purpose for his elect is not just for the moment now, it's also for the future. Through the gospel in word and sacrament, the Holy Spirit guards and protects your faith and he strengthens you to resist the attacks of sin and Satan so that you persevere until you receive the inheritance Jesus has redeemed you for. The Holy Spirit working in your hearts through God's word and sacrament is that guarantee. He is the promise of what is to come for you who are God's possession, his own redeemed people. And so, dear friends, know and believe with all confidence and assurance that God has prepared that inheritance for you. For you in whom the Holy Spirit is at work. For as, the, as you take to heart God's word and sacrament, the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work, keeping you in the faith until that inheritance, that heavenly inheritance, that is yours in Christ Jesus. So, so now that we have seen God's plan and purpose for his chosen, now that we have traced out through his word what he has revealed about how he has arranged and placed in order his, his salvation for his elect, beginning with, with his son Jesus Christ and sending out his word and, and giving you the Holy Spirit so that you believe and, 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 and live a life for Jesus and remain in that faith. Now that we've seen his plan and purpose, we can address that second question. How do I know whether I am among God's elect or not? Do you only go through the outward actions of hearing God's word without taking it to heart? Do you willingly, even gladly, give in to sin, resisting the Holy Spirit's prompting to do right? Do you figure, well, God already has everything determined so it doesn't really matter what I do. I might as well live life my way. Well, if you persist in those things, willful sinning, resisting the Holy Spirit, neglecting God's word, only going through outward motions, if you persist in those things until your death, then you are not among the elect. You are like that man at the wedding banquet who thought his own clothes were good enough. He was thrown out into the darkness. But dear Christian, dear Christian, if you cling to God's word, trusting in Jesus as your Savior who alone justifies you, if you continue in that word, holding on to Jesus, as your own dear Savior, knowing that He alone brings you to God. If the Holy Spirit has worked in you that desire to do what is right, that wants to live for Him who died and rose for you, then know with all sureness and confidence that you indeed are among God's elect. For His plan and purpose for His chosen is at work in your life. But, but someone might say, but, but don't some people fall away after they believe and e even die in that unbelief? Yes, they do because they have distanced themselves from God's word and turned away from Jesus. 
They fall into that first group that I just talked about a little while ago. They are not among the elect. They are like that man thrown out of the wedding banquet. But dear Christian, as long as you cling to God's word, trusting in Jesus, your Savior, as long as you remain in Christ and his word remains in you, know and believe with all sureness and confidence that God has elected you in Christ. No one can snatch you out of his hands. He has brought you into his family. He has adopted you. You are his own dear child and he is your dear father and nothing in all creation can separate you from that love. Look forward with all eagerness to that family inheritance that Jesus has redeemed you for. What a wedding banquet that will be. For it all depends on Jesus. God has elected you in Christ. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please turn now to page 41 in the front of the hymn book. We confess our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, page 41. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated for the offering.